This week, we learn what one Edmonton tech leader is doing to ensure artificial intelligence is used responsibly. Plus, we'll explore what it takes to make sure our use of AI is ethically aligned. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Katrina Ingram, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Thanks for joining me uh, this week, Katrina. Uh, Bloom's usual co-host, Faisal Ramji, ceded the mic to you because you have a particular uh, expertise in uh, ethical AI, and we thought that would come in handy given our interview this week. Um, so before we start, like, can you share with our listeners who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, first of all, for inviting me here to co-host today. Um, So my name is Katrina Ingram, and I run a social enterprise called Ethically Aligned AI. And we're focused on helping organizations operationalize AI ethics. And they've also been known to host a podcast now and again. Yes. We will talk a bit more about uh, your business uh, later in the show. But I think right now, let's set up the, the interview that we have this week. So I had a chance to talk to Nicole Jansen, who's the co-founder and co-CEO of Alta ML, which is an applied AI company in Edmonton, founded in 2018, and which is really soon when you look at how rapidly they have grown uh, into really a significant player in uh, machine learning and AI and in business in general. They ranked 18th on the report on businesses, top growing companies in Canada, and they also made the Deloitte Technology Fast 500. Do you have some thoughts on the rapid rise of AltaML? Well, it's really exciting. I mean, it's so nice to see a local company be recognized um, on these national lists and to see them grow so rapidly. And I think they have a really interesting business model. Uh, partnering with companies to solve a problem, but then also kind of looking at commercialization opportunities and spinning off these ideas. And it kind of reminded me of this portfolio approach to investing. So instead of kind of just doubling down on one sector, it's like they're placing a lot of uh, different bets. And I think that's a really smart way to run an AI company, given how um, prevalent AI is, is so many different sectors. So it seems like a really interesting approach that they have. Yeah, that's a really good point. In a lot of her public communications, especially lately, Nicole's been leaning into the importance of responsible AI, not only as like the right thing to do, but also as a smart business thing to do. And I wanted to understand that better. So that's kind of where we started. And here's my conversation with Nicole Jansen of Alta ML. Welcome to Bloom, Nicole. Thank you. Just to situate our listeners, maybe let's start with some examples of applied AI projects that AltaML has been involved in so that people can kind of understand the, the breadth of what we're talking about here. AI can be used across industries. There really isn't an industry that I can think of that couldn't benefit from AI. And we do work across industries which means the potential for the types of projects we could do is massive. We've actually done over 400 different use cases across many different uh, sectors. So just a smattering of some of the examples that are public, which many, as you can imagine, can't be public. Mm -hmm. Um, Companies don't hire us to support them on this so that we can share all of the the secrets that that we're working on with them. But An example, say in health, is um, we worked with a diagnostic company to look at colon polyps. 
as a patient would come in to, to determine if they had colon cancer or not, oftentimes the uh, sample that would be taken was not sufficient for the pathologist to make um, a diagnosis. And so sometimes the patient would be coming in three or four times before the pathologist could make that recommendation or that diagnosis. And, you know, obviously that's wasted time. And I can only imagine if I'm wondering if I have colon cancer, that's wasted time I feel comfortable about. So we were able to create a model using computer vision that would allow not to have a diagnosis made, but to be able to say, yes, this sample is sufficient for a pathologist to make a diagnosis so that we could cut down that to just one visit to, to the lab to have a sample taken. So that's sort of on the healthcare side. On the oil and gas side, for example, we're, we're in the middle of a project looking at whether or not uh, on certain sites you need all of the generators that are being powered up to run the site. Sometimes you don't need all three or four or whatever generators going. And so in order to reduce emissions and use of fuel, um, we've been able to predict an hour in advance if a certain number of generators can be turned off because the power won't be needed. We've also done things around preventative maintenance in lots of industries have physical infrastructure that would need maintenance and we can use uh, machine learning to predict where that maintenance should be focused. Um, and then one of the things that we did for the province, which impacts all of us living in Alberta, is uh, wildfires. Being able to predict where the best usage of the resources that we have, so the firefighters, all of the suppression equi equipment, where they should be located um, so that they're in the right spot if something were to start. Because the past method was to just simply rotate it around the province in a particular rotation that nobody knew whether that was effective or not. Right. They just kept moving it. And every time you move it, it costs money and it may not even be in the right spot. Yeah. So this allowed the province to be able to predict where it should be and when it should be moved. So it's very ecumenical. It's like, like you say, it's, it's more of like the connective tissue that makes the thing work than to be very specific on any one industry. So you wrote a piece for Forbes called Ethics and Operation, the Business Case for Responsible AI. And so I wanted to, to tease out a little bit more. Why does trustworthy AI make good business sense? Because, you know, taken to its extreme, people could say, well, if I could use the computer to manipulate things or, or like there's, you could make lots of money. Lots of people are making lots of money with unethical AI right now. So what's the business case for, for trustworthy AI? Maybe up front, you can make a lot of money with unethical AI practices. But over the long term, I don't think that's true. You know, you can see how impacted Facebook is right now or Meta uh, around the practices that they have um, mm -hmm. utilizing AI and the questions that people have about how ethical their usage of it is. It is impacting them as a company. It's impacting their ad revenue, et cetera. And so I do think that over the long run, um, the risk of those biased models or choosing to use AI in a nefarious way will impact businesses significantly on the bottom line. I also think 
you know, I know that at the talent that we attract, it's hard to attract talent in the current market, particularly in the tech talent. And nobody wants to work for a company they don't feel is doing ethical things. Uh, that is something we know is really important to today's workforce. And so I do think that there is a business reason to ensure that you are using uh, AI ethically because you'll have a hard time finding the right talent. You might find some talent. It might not be the talent that you want, though. You wrote that transparency means that one should be able to explain how the AI came to the decision it did. If one can't, then it isn't responsible. That's such an interesting sentence to me. Um, and I, I just want to, to explore that a little bit more. From the outside looking in, it feels like there's a lot of black boxes in tech and the how seems to be kind of protected as a trade secret. So how do you be transparent and responsible and still have a competitive advantage? There's different parts of how there. How you built the model is probably the, the secret. If you are, for example, we work uh, with AIMCO very closely with their investment managers and try to provide them insights in making their decisions. The AI is not making the decision for them, but rather just giving them some predictions to use in their decision making. If you're going to be sending uh, to an investment manager a you should invest here decision or you should not invest here, they're not going to trust that. If you can't in some way say, but this is why, these are two of the factors that really determined that this is why this prediction is being made. Not only is it transparent to, you know, in certain cases where you're using personal information, needing to be transparent upfront on how that might be used, but then it's on the other side when that prediction is made. It's really hard. AI is, it's seen as this black box thing that's taking people's jobs and it's building killer robots. That's what the media and Hollywood has told us uh, it is. And so in order to change that mindset, you have to have this transparency with that end user as to why, why they're being told to do this, why you know, this decision is justified, why this prediction is valid. Um, because that will build that trust that's needed in order to actually adopt AI. When we look at the rate of adoption in the industry, many solutions are being built, many trillions of dollars are being invested, uh, but only about one in five of those solutions being built is actually getting operationalized. And a big part of that is that lack of trust. Mm. So the transparency is a big part of it. We also did a use case for um, whether or not you should lend money to someone who has you know, made an application. Now, you can imagine how biased something like that could become over the long term. What could have led to that model? If, for all we know, that the data going in could be biased. Mm -hmm. So the output of that if you've had a 20-year career making a decision on these things and had a pretty good track record, you think you're going to suddenly allow this little black box to suddenly pop up on your screen and say, yes, you should give this person money, or no, you should not. Probably not. 
but if it says, yes, you should, and here's why, then you might say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I'm aligned with that, or I'm not. Most of our AI work and machine learning focuses on projects where there's still a human in the loop, right. uh, not just an automatic decision-making. It feels like another part of what you're talking about is the quality of the inputs. And I want to ask you, to what degree does a diverse workforce working in AI contribute to the quality of the inputs? Uh, it's massive. It's uh, incredibly important. I think we knew that at AltML, and we we are also lucky that data science there's a diverse group of individuals pursuing data science. The U of A attracts incredible talent from all over the world here. So it does make it a little easier to build a diverse workforce on that data science side. You have to really put some focus on, you know, certain areas that are more challenging, like there's definitely less females in the field than we would like to see. But overall, it does help that data scientists that our training in this field are generally diverse from, from around the world. But we had a project recently, you know, about a year ago that a team was working on and everybody looked at the inputs of the data. Everybody thought, yes, this looks like solid data because we do assessments for responsible AI from the very get-go of any engagement. There's many points at which we look at the implications of responsible AI. And one person on that team who had a very different background than anyone else said, wait a minute, no, there's a problem with this data. And it was, had nothing to do, like no one else would have recognized it, but that individual because of uh, her background and her experience and her life experiences that led her to that place. And so that was really um, an eye opener to myself as a business owner and, and the rest of the team of just how important that diverse team is in order to ensure that we aren't building biased models. Does that diversity extend to non-tech people? So I, I'm, I'm wondering, especially because you are a, a, like a tech CEO with a non-tech background, what do people who aren't necessarily the coders or the, the, the people who know the computing science, what's their role in this? That was one of the big discoveries when we started AltML, is that AI doesn't work with just a team of data scientists. Hmm. AI works with data scientists, plus software developers, plus project delivery managers, plus product managers, plus, plus, plus. And so there's many people on each team that don't have the technical background. Uh, and so I do think that not only adds to the diversity of the team and, and the different experiences they come with, but it also comes with a little bit of a different mindset as to how they're looking at the problem and the project. When you've spent your career and all of your education focusing on the technical aspects, reducing risk, that very technical background, often it's easy to forget, does this uh, have business value? Which is one of the things that we see often with our technical talent is it takes them a while to adapt to having to continually ask that question, should we be building this? 
Mm. Does it actually have any ROI or is it just a really cool thing we can do with data? When you're coming from academia, often you're not necessarily focusing on the business value. You're focusing on how impact, like how concise can I get this model? What percentage accuracy can I get it to? Rather than, is this worthwhile putting investment into? So that is definitely, we try and bring together lots of different backgrounds into our teams because it is important to think about what could we do with this data, but it's just as important to think about, you know, does this have business impact? And does this have ethical impact too? Because yeah. there's, there's another should in there that maybe somebody from the outside looking in who's not kind of enamored with the, oh, this is so cool to say, yeah, but taken to a, a certain logical extreme, bad things could happen if we did this. Yeah. And I think the, the really interesting part about ML that makes this a challenging topic is that if you build a model that's intended to do one thing, and that's why you were building it, that's why it was put into production, but someone then takes that model and uses it to do something different. Who is at fault for the development of this nefarious model? Mm. Is it the, the person who developed it, not knowing that this was the intention that it would be used for down the road? You know, I would argue that that person would not be at fault for that. But that's a big question. Right now, there's privacy laws up before parliament that are being considered. And that's really up in, a, up in the air there as to when this comes out and it, someone gets caught doing this in a nefarious way, who's at fault here? You have written that Canada has an opportunity to become a leader in in ethical AI, that, that these are the kinds of questions that we're well suited to be asking. So why do you think that? I think when you look at the top um, countries investing in AI and with strength in AI, the top three, no one would argue, I, I think that it's Canada, US and China. Now, we have Canada and the US are ahead of Canada. But I would say they're far behind on not only the use of AI as a responsible practice, but simply their reputation as being responsible countries. Whereas I think Canada comes to the table with an existing reputation of being responsible. And so why can we not carry that through into AI and be the leader in responsible AI globally? I We've been investing in AI in the research side for decades, far before many other countries were doing so. We have incredible talent in Canada that we are attracting. We have some of the best schools. So we, we've got academia and we continue to invest there. We have the government who's interested, but I think needs to lean in. And then I think where we need to really lean in is commercializing of AI and industry and industry's part in playing in this responsible AI. And so how can those three groups, academia, government, and industry come together to create this standing of being the leader of responsible AI? Because we're lucky this isn't one province that has this academic you know, strength. 
it's across the country and you're seeing a lot of AI companies, uh, startups and scale ups growing in Canada. And so we're on our way, but let's really shoot for the stars. We have a real opportunity here. We can't be squandering this because it's a title up for grabs. And Mm. based on our population, we are in way above our weight class. And so let's, let's grab a hold. How can Alta ML's Talent Accelerators program kind of develop talent in that ethical AI space to, to kind of operationalize that idea? Our Talent Accelerators started um, in Calgary and it's grown throughout Alberta. And now we're hoping to take it, it nationally. We have an internship program. Now, the, the interesting part is what we discovered through this as we allowed people to apply to enter in one of the cohorts is that there's a lot of individuals that don't have on their resume the master's degree, the PhD, the, you know, the things that you would expect someone to have in order to be a data scientist. So we were using a technical test so to assess people. And anybody who passed that technical test could then potentially move forward for an interview. So what we're finding is many of the people that we're choosing are maybe engineers who are changing careers or, um, you know, they've self-taught even some data science. So we're taking all of these individuals and we're immersing them in real world problems. So we have industry partners who on a four month basis for each new cohort have a new problem that they want the team to assess. These team of interns, uh, paid interns, work underneath our team. So they have senior uh, mentors and go through a use case from start to finish, present to the company at the end their findings. And so they get that experience of really focusing on it is their business value. They get the experience of working with real world data, which sometimes is a bit messy. They get the experience of having to present to a company at the end. Um, so we are we have put 200 interns through the program so far in the first two years, and we've had um, about 1,500 applicants for those spots. So there's oh. a ton of interest, and we're really building some of the best talent because we are we're building great talent in Canada in academia, but when they get out. So much of that technical talent doesn't yet have that mindset of, is this valuable to business? Is this worth pursuing? And so this internship allows them to get that experience. And we've found that individuals who've gone through the program, their career trajectory coming out of it is significantly increased because they have this real world experience and they're not simply coming from academia or They maybe didn't have anything on their resume that specifically said this person is skilled enough to be a data scientist. And now they're coming out of our program with an accreditation that says, okay, this person actually does know what they're doing. And so we're most, the majority of them are getting jobs in the data science field or they're going back to school because they've decided, okay, I learned a lot here. I want to learn even more. Right. I am so excited and honored to have to be able to run this program and put this great talent back into the marketplace because not only do our industry partners then have the opportunity to hire some of these talent which essentially they just had a 16-week interview process with 
and then we can hire some of that talent. But we also have other companies who just know on a quarterly basis, this cohort is going to finish up and they say, give me a call. I want to know who you've got, who needs a job because I know the talent coming out is strong talent. Can you imagine a future where there's maybe not a technical test for everyone to get into that, that business majors or even arts majors who kind of bring that sort of both, is there a business application for this? And is this a good thing to do cast into talent accelerators? So this is a very interesting timing that you asked this question is we've just uh, decided that as we move forward, we're going to open up different aspects of that fulsome team that we need to, you know, deliver these type of projects. So, you know, we'll open up maybe a couple slots in project delivery, a couple slots in product manager, a couple slots in software developer. And so we're getting a more robust group of talent coming through. Um, The focus initially was data science. Now that we know that we can do that and we do it well, I think I'm, I'm happy and excited, but also confident that we can then take this and make it a bit broader. Yeah, that's interesting. Is there anything about Edmonton that has made it a good place for LTML to grow and for this, you know, ecosystem that you're building around ethical AI to grow? I mean, I think the standing of the U of A for data science in particular is so high globally that we really do attract the best talent. Now, post-COVID, remote work is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as we all know. Um, so that's eased up a little bit, but we do still feel that because we're located here, the talent coming out of the U of A, we are able to be at those job fairs. We're able to be in front of those, that great talent. And so we do have a strong pipeline that comes out of the U of A. And that's honestly why we started our business here is because of the talent coming out of the U of A. And today, I still believe that that advantage exists, even with remote work. Is there anything else that's on the horizon for LTML that our listeners would like to know? We we're, we care on, on Bloom about innovation. That's your whole remit. So um, what's, what's going on? What's new with you guys? On one side of our business, we work with Enterprise to um, look at their potential for using machine learning. But on the other side of our business, we're a venture builder. And so currently we've We've built five ventures that have come out of uh, different opportunities, whether it's clients who've had an idea and a use case that we've explored that together we've decided is worth commercializing, or someone else has come to us looking for our support on building the venture. We've got some more ideas in the hopper, and we're in the middle of our Series B raise so that uh, we can fund those opportunities, we have more opportunities than we have money to spend. So we're, we're looking to fill up those coffers so that we can keep pursuing these opportunities. We're also expanding to Houston right now oh, and wow. likely uh, northeastern area of the U.S. would be coming shortly afterwards. So we're, we're seeing some pretty significant growth and um, really excited about the opportunities coming down the pipeline for these new ventures. You know, it's exciting to work with, with companies and explore their opportunities, 
but it's just as exciting to see those turn into new companies and new ventures that attract more talent and allow some of our team to say, hey, it was really cool to, to learn about all these different industries, but I loved working in that industry. And so now I'm going to move over to this entity because it's going to focus in that industry. So it's just, it's a really exciting time for us. And um, I'm looking forward to um, investing in these additional ideas and getting those entities off the ground. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining me today. It's been really interesting to talk to you. Yes, thank you for inviting me. All right. So do you agree with Nicole that there's a business case for responsible AI? Absolutely. Um, I think there's a case to be made on a number of different levels. Um, If I think about um, where companies are at today, it's kind of um, been this interesting shift from just thinking about shareholder value to really thinking about stakeholder value and things like corporate social responsibility, um, all kinds of other ESG, environmental, social and government governance metrics. So it's not just about the, the financial bottom line. And Nicole made this really interesting point about talent. So she talked about this idea of attracting employees. And I think this is particularly true um, when it comes to Gen Z. So we see a group of people who really want to live their values. And we, we saw this pretty clearly during some of the protests that happened at places like Google. So I'm thinking um, specifically of Project Maven, that controversial uh, defense contract that Google was working on. And the employees weren't really aligned with that. And they walked out and they let the company know that they didn't think that um, this is something that uh, they should be doing. So I think that all of that is true. Um, I, I do have to add, though, and, and this is a bit more um, uh, based on the context of the very moment that we're having this conversation, Karen, and we're seeing massive layoffs in the tech sector. So we've just seen um, about tens of thousands of people about to lose their job here. And I, I do have to wonder, will that temper people's um, kind of propensity to stand up and do the right thing um, when it comes down to, you know, paying the bills, putting food on the table, um, keeping your job? Um, will, will employees still feel that they can stand up? So I am a little bit concerned about that in the short term, but in the long term, I'm definitely aligned with this idea that, um, companies and uh, talented people want to do the responsible thing. Well, you make a good point. And if um, you're reducing headcount by the thousand, who do you get rid of engineers or people that are kind of putting like the brakes on some things that might make you money in the short term, even if it's a long term bad idea? Yeah. Do you agree with her that Canada is well positioned to play a leadership role in building ethical AI? I think we could be. I'm, I am a bit concerned that we're falling behind. So I feel Canada had a lot of early wins. So we had the first um, algorithmic impact assessment tool that our Treasury Board put out. It's still out there as a free tool um, on their website for anyone to use, not just government. Um, and we also had a pan-Canadian AI strategy before other countries had their AI strategies in place. So I feel like we did some things right to start out with. But what I've seen lately is that we are falling a little bit behind. And I'm thinking specifically of privacy laws. 
So about uh, maybe a year ago, we had Bill C-11 on the table, and then we had the federal election, and all bets were off, everything came off the table. And now we have a new, um, I call it a combo privacy and AI regulation bill called Bill C-27 back on the table. But it's already been almost five years since uh, Europe launched the GDPR way back in 2018. Um, and so when I think about who is leading the pack when it comes to some of the regulatory pieces that I think are necessary to create this ecosystem of responsible AI, I think that Canada is a little bit at risk of getting behind. Um, that being said, I, I still think that culturally, we're, we're seen as a responsible nation. Um, and so I think we could um, reclaim that leadership position or, or at least, um, you know, reposition ourselves again. Uh, to be in that uh, in that place. So some of this can be done by government regulation, as you mentioned, like things like C27. Some can and ought to be done within the industry itself. What What's the mix? Who should be responsible for making sure that all these things that we're building are ethical? Yeah, I think it has to happen on a number of different levels. So when I think about responsibility, I, I think about it in terms of professional responsibility and, and what happens at the individual level. So we can think of professions like accounting, for example, where people take a personal um, code of conduct and, and decide that they're going to conduct themselves ethically. So that's kind of the personal level. Um, if we think about companies um, like Altamil and other companies in the industry, um, I think that leaders like Nicole can set the tone at the top for their organization and ensure that their organizations are doing the right things and uh, trying to have some ethical oversight. But I also think that regulation is needed. Um, it's, it's easier for companies to do the right things when those align with things that the are good for the company. Um, I call that being prudential, but it, <laughs> it's less hard to or it's less easy to do that when those things don't line up. And you can also um, create an uneven playing field for companies who are, are maybe taking a hit by doing the right things while other companies are just doing whatever uh, whatever they wish. And so that's the role of regulation is it does play a bit of a, um, a level setting in terms of having everybody comply with the same thing. Um, it gives some standards for what to comply with, and it gives some really needed oversight. So I think it's a bit of a mix of, of all of those things. This is a, a maybe a bit of a tangent, but um, we had a story in Taproot uh, a few weeks ago about uh, the fight between tech companies and Apega around the designation software engineer. And one of the points that Apega was making is that our engineers, those iron ring guys, have to swear to act ethically. And so it's not just, you know, a nice thing that you put on your LinkedIn post, it's it means something. I don't know if that's the right answer because there's opponents of that were persuasive in, in that being red tape. But do you think like professional organizations like that might have a role? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that um, has been kind of debated on and off. Um, the challenge is that unlike licensed professionals like engineers, doctors, even accountants, where, where they have a governing body that issues a license and could pull their license if um, something unethical um, happens, 
the software profession hasn't necessarily had that kind of oversight. And people come into software um, and AI and machine learning from all different walks of life um, that aren't necessarily as, as strictly regulated. So I'm, I'm actually watching uh, that uh, particular story with a lot of interest to see what's going to happen. What role do you think non-technical people have to play in ensuring the responsible use of AI? I think that non-technical people have a, a big role in all of this. And I, I think, um, and the reason I make that distinction is um, when it comes to technical people, they see the world in a particular way. And it's a result of, of being a technical person and maybe always believing that there are technical solutions for things or we structure things a certain way. Um, and non-technical people don't always have that same perspective. Um, they see things a little bit differently. They've been trained perhaps a little bit differently and with different disciplines. And so I think the real win for ethical AI is when we can bring the non-technical people and the technical people together to try and do things a little bit differently and a little bit more responsibly for everyone. Any other thoughts about what, had, uh, what, about what Nicole had to say? I guess the one thing that struck me about um, what AltML is doing that I thought was really interesting is the kinds of use cases that they're finding. And she said something about the fact that so far they've always um, tried to work with companies who have a human in the loop in terms of their AI solutions. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I think about where we're at with AI, um, maybe we're not ready to totally let go of the reins just yet. Maybe we want to look at having the human in the loop for a while until we get to a place where maybe we feel comfortable um, with uh, with letting things go. But I thought that was a really interesting comment that she made. Mm -hmm. And also a potential like future job, right? Like me, or maybe we all will be AI handlers in, in, in to some extent in our work. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll take a break uh, to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk to Katrina a little bit more about her work. Bloom is brought to you by Edmonton Unlimited. Here's a message from our sponsor. Every solution starts with an idea. At Edmonton Unlimited, we're here to help you build that idea into a thriving business. We offer free foundational programs like Business Model 101 and Discover and Validate, where you'll learn the basics of entrepreneurship and how to map out each element of your business model. Then you'll be ready to understand where your customers are and how to validate and build out that idea. Along the way, you'll be connected with like-minded problem solvers and get hands-on support from experienced facilitators. Register today and start your entrepreneurial journey with our foundational programs and more at edmontonunlimited.com. This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Okay, well, let's talk about you now for a while. Uh, what made you want to start Ethically Aligned AI? Well, the company is really an extension of my research in applied ethics. 
So uh, the story is that I went back to school um, in 2018 to do a degree, a master's degree in communications and technology. And while I was there, I wandered into this lecture that was being given by Dr. Jonathan Schaefer, um, who is arguably one of the reasons why we have such an amazing uh, AI industry here in Alberta. Um, but he was talking about all these harms, these unintended consequences that he was seeing as a result of AI gone wrong. And it really got my attention, all of these people who were potentially being hurt by uh, this technology. And so that led to doing some work with Dr. Schaefer, and that led to um, focusing all my research and attention on this issue. Um, and when I graduated in 2020, I looked around to see who's working on this problem, and I didn't really see very many people working on it. And that really kind of kicked off my um, desire to, to keep going. And so I launched the company out of that. The manifestation of that is manifold. I see you speaking at conferences. I see you, you know, conducting thought leadership in all kinds of ways. One of the things that you've done is develop a micro-credential certification in AI ethics with Athabasca University. So who's that aimed at and how's that been going? Yeah, that's been a super fun project. And um, in terms of who it's aimed at, it's really that audience that we've been talking about. So these are people who are in the workforce right now. Um, maybe they have a computer science degree, or maybe they're even more steeped in the techniques of machine learning and specifics of AI. But what they're generally not trained in at all is any kind of the ethical considerations about the technology that they're building. So this particular um, certification is really meant to fill that gap. It's meant to help um, those professionals really think about the ethics of the technology. Conversely, it also um, is meant to give non-technical people the very basics of what AI is all about and kind of acts as a level setting mechanism between these two groups. So we're talking about how it's important to have non-technical and technical users come together. This micro-credential is designed in such a way that if you're a non-technical person, you're going to learn enough about the technical things to be able to talk with that, with a bit, talk about that with a bit more confidence. And if you're a technical person, you're going to learn more about the ethical and non-technical side of things to really appreciate those issues. So that's really um, what our aim is with this course. Um, it's actually four courses in the micro-credentials. So the first one's an introduction to AI ethics. Then we do a deep dive into data, a deep dive into machine learning. And then the last course, which was super fun to work on, is about robots. Um, it's oh, called wow. RoboEthics. Yeah. <laughs> and what we found is that once you put AI into something that can uh, move around in the environment, um, there's a whole other set of ethical considerations uh -huh. that start to come up. And I think we are, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg on that right now. We haven't really seen the full impact of that quite yet, but it's coming. Interesting. I suppose it's not just, you know, like humanoid Robbie, Robbie the robot kinds of things. It's it's like self-driving cars and all kinds of things that are out there moving in our environment. Absolutely. Do you think the AI ecosystem in Edmonton is doing enough to take ethics into account? I think about this question in terms of where is the AI ecosystem in Edmonton right now? So if we, we think about it from the industry standpoint, um, it's not, we don't see a lot of um, companies that are the size, let's say, of an Alt-ML or, or a Jobber. What we see instead is an industry that's made up of a lot of, of small organizations. In many cases, these are startups. 
And I know that you know this, Karen, as a small business uh, owner yourself, um, when you're uh, just kind of getting started, you don't necessarily have all the money to hire all the different functions that you want. So you wind up doing a lot of the things uh, yourself, where you have a core team that's doing a lot of different things, wearing a lot of hats. And so what I sense is that there's a lot of desire and alignment with this idea of responsible AI, but there isn't necessarily resources to hire someone um, to come in and be that expert. And a lot of times there isn't time to do the work yourself or learn how to do the work yourself. Um, That being said, I do think that training is probably the biggest thing that we can do uh, for startups, because if you're doing the work yourself and you at least you have a bit of that training, you can incorporate that into the work you're doing, weave those ideas into how you're building your product from the beginning, um, which is a lot more beneficial than trying to correct a mistake when you're really far down the line. So I think it's a bit of an issue of maturity in terms of where we're at right now. Yeah, in the same way that everybody is talking about how AI is going to be kind of infusing every single thing that we do, ethics has to as well. And we might each have to be the the mm-hmm. vessel that injects that into the into the mix. Amy is bringing AI Week back in May 2023 under a new name called Upper Bound. Um, what would you like to see at that event? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, like, I love the name, by the way. Um, I think it's a great, great nod to math and, um, and also this idea of just kind of expanding. Um, I think Amy has a, a really interesting role in our ecosystem. So they're a research institute. Um, They have a lot of ties to academia as a research institute, not just to traditional computer scientists, but to the wealth of researchers who are are part of the U of A. So I'm thinking about social scientists and humanities scholars and other people who have a deep expertise um, in terms of ethics and society. And um, one of the things I think that Amy could uh, put on the table is bringing together those kinds of researchers along with the computer scientists and the AI researchers to talk a bit more about the bigger societal impacts of technology and AI. And I I saw this done um, at CIFAR. So CIFAR is the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research and they manage our pan-Canadian AI strategy. And they did uh, a group like this at one of their conferences. And I think it'd be really interesting to do something similar on a local level. Um, So that's kind of one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, and this is something that Nicole mentioned as well in her talk, um, is this this topic of data. And we don't really talk about messy data enough, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely a thing. And in the real world, there's a lot of messy data. And before we can get to the cool AI elements and talk about machine learning, I think we need to have some conversations about the basics of data governance, data management, data quality, all of these things that are are maybe not the sexy part of AI, but are the necessary pieces that need to to get done. And I think that um, many companies have challenges with um, their data governance programs, and those things are absolutely critical to getting to that next level, which includes machine learning and AI. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, uh, if listeners don't want to wait until May to get a sense of what's going on in AI, uh, Amy is involved in a few events that are coming up. Um, uh, There's a session on reinforcement learning through the Edmonton Public Library's City of Learners Initiative. That is on November 30th. 
Also on November 30th, Norquest College is uh, putting on AI Pathways Showcase, which uh, involves some fellow post-secondary institutions in collaboration with Amy. And you have a role to play in that one? I absolutely do. I'm, I'm pleased to be giving the keynote on AI ethics for that event. That's, that's a good sign. <laughs> Uh, also, if you want more on the uh, on the technical side of things, there's a demo day for the Supply Chain AI West program on December 7th, and that's a chance to see what nine startups have been working on using AI and machine learning to improve uh, supply chains. So lots of interesting things coming up. We'll link to all of those things in the show notes and uh, all of your stuff as well. Thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. That's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Tabard Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Beaker, and our cover art is by Vicki Wersinski. Bye.